Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. been to many winter fests. I don't bounce back as easily as I used to. People were asking about my shirt, and I remember when I was younger, people would always get like Hard Rock Cafe shirts, you know, and you'd see some be like, oh, you've been to Cairo. You've been to, well, I was at Bucky's in Kentucky, and it changed my life, and so I had to get a shirt. So if you've never been to Bucky's, you need to get, is it the Bucky's Bites? The that yes i told you yeah and i got just hooked on them too so i'm sorry so here is where god has been leading my heart as you know there was uh craig grishel there was this sermon series that i had heard and it just impacted me so much and it's funny because i can hear a sermon series and i can pull one or two words out of that and whenever we go to camp meeting and things i always look like i'm the best listener but really i'm writing a sermon that has nothing to do with what they're saying often but god's like it's inspiration i just got a roll And so today I wanted to speak about Elijah, this part two of Elijah, and I wanted to speak out of 1 Kings chapter 18, and I specifically made some awesome slides, which I told them today I don't want to use, because I don't know where God's going to take this. And if you try to follow me in life, like whoever's on slides, God bless them sometimes, but I don't know how they do it. What is most important to God? That's the question. What is most important to him? In church, and you know how I feel about this, we often throw around words, but we don't appreciate the weight of the words we're throwing around. What God wants more than anything is your heart. The first commandment out of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. He means what he says. Jesus, when he's questioned what is the greatest commandment, in Matthew 22 He says, above all else, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, echoing those words in Deuteronomy. If Jesus says this, it's what I need to go with. We are in a time where there is, well, let me put it this way. We live in a time when many people put so many things before God. In a nutshell, the definition there is idolatry. We live in a time when idolatry is widespread. And you may think, well, that sounds weird, but let me dig into this a bit. There was something that Pastor Grishel had said that hit me. It struck me. And it said, false gods promise what the true God provides. And it is a rough thing to listen to something that just tears you up. I'm at a place in life, and I'm just going to be real, I don't want to go to church and leave feeling good. And you're like, oh, no. I'm saying I want to leave challenged. 
I want God to put something like in me that I'm like, yeah, that, that kind of messed me up. And then when I'm like, I'm not going to think about it anymore, I start thinking about it. When I wake up the next day and I think God wants to do something. So the last time we spoke about Elijah, the recap from 1 Kings 17 is that God calls Elijah to go and to confront King Ahab, to let him know that because of the idolatry that has been going on, that a famine would come over the land, to let him know that until God told Elijah that it was going to be over, it was not going to be over. There were false gods that were there. King Ahab being a leader, he was leading the people's hearts away from God. False God promises. If you worship me, we'll make your crops grow better. This was a society they were in. If you worship me, you're going to have a better life. Those promises that they made, these people were like, yeah, we need that. We need the corn to grow good. We're in a time of famine, so we're going to need to go with this God. He This man, Elijah, he's raised up in this moment. Imagine what that would take. After he delivers word to the king and this famine starts, Elijah goes to this ravine, Cherith, which means a place of cutting down. When he's there, God provides for him with ravens and the brook. One day the brook dries up. God tells him, go to Zarephath. I have commissioned a widow there to take care of you. Once he gets there, he experiences the miracle of the oil that doesn't run dry and the flour that doesn't run out. Not long after, the woman's son dies and God uses Elijah in the performing of a miracle that brings that boy back to life. And see, God wasn't done developing him yet. And I'm gonna stop there for a second because I feel in my heart this idea that we tend to get to a place where we think we have maxed out in God. Like we look at this experience that we had before and we think, look at all the awesome things that God did. And like, he's kind of done with us. He is not done developing you into the person he wants you to be. So Elijah, after this, he goes into hiding. God says to him, go and present yourself to this king and I will send the rain. Three years into this drought, he says this. In a turn of events that comes around, Elijah finds himself before the king. It's time. It's time. When we talk in terms of what God's going to do, church, it's time. It is time for whatever was in the past to be in the past and for us to step into the season and say, God, it's time and I want to be there. First Kings chapter 18, verses 17 and 18. Then it happened when King Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I haven't troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, those that have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals, plural. So that hit me when I'm reading it this time, the plural. It's like this Yosemite Sam moment, you know, you low down dirty snake, I can't believe you'd come marching in here kind of thing. And Elijah, what I like is that he's standing there and he's like, I'm not gonna take any of that from you. And I think this is important, that as God's people, we need to walk in his confidence. We don't need to walk in his meanness, we need to walk in his confidence. Because what Elijah's saying here is, your society does not determine my relationship with God. I think that that needs to be a cry for God's people. That see, I'm tired of being told how to dial down my God to make people more comfortable in situations. But I'm also tired of Christians who are like using God as a battering ram just to be mean to people. You hear me? 
There is this middle ground where God wants us to walk in his confidence and respond in love. Elijah, he's being told, you made this trouble by the king. And Elijah's like, oh, no, no, no. But you and your father's house have done this by who you're following. You're committing idolatry. You're putting false gods ahead of the one true God. We live in a society that believes there are many gods. To get theological for a moment, there is monotheism. That's a form of belief. That means that you believe in one God. There is polytheism, meaning that you believe in many gods. I'm reminded of a time when we were running Mentor Heritage Christian Academy, and there was a very kind family that came in, and they wanted to enter their child into the school. And when we were talking about belief, they were explaining to us, like, all the gods they believe in. And we were explaining to them, well, we're a Christian school, and we are going to teach your kids about Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and life, like the only way to the Father. And I go, oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, he's good too. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point here. And this feels like the society that we're in sometimes. We may say monotheism, but there's times that we live another way. You may say in your heart, I would never bow down to an idol. You would not catch me. Like, if you've seen these old carved idols, maybe none of us would ever, like, bow down to that. But in my heart, there are times that I can wander, that I can put other gods before the true God. I may not ever worship Baal, but in church, we could go off on several things. We could talk about money, material possessions, your house, your car, your image, your favorite sport, your career, your investment portfolio, your hobby. All of these things can be placed above God, and when they are, it's taking his place on the throne. It's cut and dried, and I feel like we get in this gray area because we don't want to hurt feelings, but the truth is, when you put it before God, it's before God. Here's one, our children. We can be so obsessed with our children's happiness that we end up worshiping our children. You may say, I would never worship a false god. How's this, though? How many times do we consult with a spirit of fear before we take or don't take our next step? How many times do we enter church and make an altar for a critical spirit to begin to say the church isn't doing what I feel they should do? And I'm not going to step in and do it, but the church needs to do better. How many times? Do I bow before happiness because I don't want to pursue the joy of the Lord because it's easier to seek happy? How many times have I revered the past so much and instead of raising my hands in worship, I put my hand out to keep everyone else away? I can worship other gods. There was nothing benign about worshiping Baal. It wasn't neutral. It wasn't harmless. What's wild is that the devil has no new tricks and that a lot of the same things that have always been there are still there. It's just he'll give it a different name. Baal, you know what a key part of Baal worship was? To sacrifice children so society would be better. I live in a society that will sacrifice children so that it can be better. Same God, different name. There are cave art from the time, which was really just the beginnings of pornography. Didn't stay there. 
The pornography industry is a $12 billion industry in the US right now. It brings in more money than the three major networks. Same sin, same idol, different name. We live in a time when you go to download something on the app store, one of the top apps that comes up is Tinder. Tinder allows people to meet other people with no strings attached. You don't think sexual sin is the same way? And the crazy thing is you can carry it around in your pocket. It's a time when OnlyFans allows people to pay for their addiction, to subscribe to their addiction. There is nothing new about it, but the devil is so played out. We as Christians need to be able to identify it, and we need to pray against it and stand against it. And when you see those things coming up, taking authority over it. Same spirit of lust, same idol, new name. Whenever we talk about true revival, you can't say true revival without true repentance. True repentance is an awareness that I am missing the mark. It is a godly sorrow that says, God, forgive me for missing the mark. And it is a complete turning away from my sin toward God. On a personal note, you know, some of the gods that I can follow, I'm a pastor. I work for Jesus but I can get to a place where I can serve the church so much that I forget to serve God. I can get to the place where I'm more concerned with growing the church than growing my relationship with God. I can get so into myself and worried about what people think. I try to be all things to all people at all times, and I forget to let God in. This is me being transparent with you because, see, you tend to think that when I get up here, like I've got it all together, but there are times that I've got to be checked by God and God's got to say, dial it down and get with me. Dial it down and get with me. Elijah did not show up in this chapter to put on a show. We tend to like the show of things. You know, you watch the UFC. Everybody loved Conor McGregor because he acted crazy before the fight. No one even really wanted to watch the fight. They just wanted to watch how this guy acted before the fight. I don't want to be like that when it comes to church, like it's just this big show. I don't want to see a show. I want to see the glory of God fall. Historically, God's leaders have always asked, whose side are you on? Moses asked this in Exodus 32. Joshua asked that in Joshua 24. And I'm telling you what, if there ever comes a time when I am not standing up here challenging you, whose side are you on, then it's time for me to go. We need to take stock and we need to be willing to say, God, this needs to go, this needs to stay, and I need more of that. Notice with these chapters, these verses that we're reading, there's no fence. They never say there's a fence in it. There's no fence to sit on. It's not like Elijah could just say, you know what? I don't want to make too many ways, so I'm just going to sit on the fence. Monotheism, polytheism, but here's another ism. It is called, I've got to look at this, henotheism. What's that? It's worshiping one God, but not denying the other ones. didn't deny that Yahweh existed, but they believed that the other gods had what they needed. So it's not like I'm going to totally turn my back on God. I still want something to do with him, but I need these other gods to meet my needs. When we walk like that, what happens is we end up shipwrecked between the two. You can't have it both ways. 
It's time for a showdown as Elijah's there. He says in verse 19, Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel. He assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah goes before the people and he says these words, How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? And the next thing has cut through me, and I have said it this week so many times to myself when faced with things that I am praying about. If the Lord is God, if the Lord is God, if you just need to repeat that to yourself. So whatever things are on your mind, whatever you're praying about, maybe just tell your heart, if the Lord is God, that's a rhetorical statement because he is God. But sometimes we just need to be reminded of this. If he's God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. No, that's bold. That is a bold statement from a man of God. Elijah, how long are you going to do this? If God is God, then follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. Quit wavering, though. See, I get to places, and I'm like so good with the God. Thank you. Thank you for this whole salvation part where I am saved from hell. But when it comes to, like, the truth part of me needing to press in, yeah, I'm not down with that. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I want all of the God experience. I can't be a Christian on Sunday and a heathen on Monday. I can't claim Christ when I'm here and then when I walk out of here, live like I don't know him. I can't want all the benefits without being willing to put in the sacrifice here. Pick a side, pick a side. When I read this, I was listening to some of the things that this pastor was saying, and he was talking about material possessions. So if material possessions are your God, go into massive debt. Accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Don't ever give to the church again because that would diminish from all that you're going to get. If material possessions are your God, then go for it. If your image is your God, then go for it. Don't just kind of do it. Sleep in a tanning bed six hours a day and the other 18 hours live in the gym Get a tattoo and then get it removed next year when it's not trendy anymore and get the new trendy tattoo put on top of it. Get your plastic surgery, get your teeth white and so white that when you smile, it glows through your, your lips in the dark. Get them that white. Come on, it's about your image. Be that person. Color your hair twice a day. Spend thousands on designer clothes and then next season, you gotta go spend it again because you'll be out of fashion, but do it. If that is your God, then chase it. Do not, Allow the fact that we are finite here on this earth to get in the way of you looking good. If your house is your God, then go off. Make it into the Taj Mahal. Make your yard look like a Holden Arboretum. Do it. Just go. Don't stop. But don't claim God and not chase God in the same way. If he is everything, does our life reflect it? Quit wavering. Showdown time comes in verse 22 through 24. Elijah says to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, let them choose one for themselves, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull. I will lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, lowercase. 
and I will call on the name of the Lord, all capitals. And the God, capital, who answers by fire, he is God, capital. Again, speaking in that confidence. Like, you know, you go, you go with that, and I'm going to go with the living God. I'm going to go with God because he is going to bring the fire. So all the people answer, and they're like, it is well spoken. When push comes to shove, do you know who your God is? Because all these prophets, you know what they're looking at him thinking? You're a dummy. They're thinking, don't you know who you're up against? This is Baal, and one of the many things that he's famous for, he's the lightning god. So how easy is it going to be for him to drop fire from heaven? Because like that's what we believe he does. They're looking at Elijah thinking, there's no way. If we only speak in boldness when we have home court advantage, <laughs> let me repeat that. Because I'm 10 feet tall when I'm up here and I'm speaking or I'm down here with you guys. But take me out in the world and I'm like, oh, oh. We need to speak with the same boldness and confidence in this house and out of this house. Boldness and confidence. You notice something here. When it comes to God's people, we're often comfortable making statements. But here's my question. Do we speak in absolute God authority? God's looking for men and women in this culture who are going to stand in his authority and speak his words. In authority, whether you notice it or not, Elijah was calling the shots from the very beginning of this. He was telling the king what would happen, and the king was obeying Elijah. Imagine that. He was telling the king, and it didn't say that Elijah shows up and Elijah had a couple cows. Elijah, he's like, hey, and you're going to give me one for this. I believe in authority, we need to begin speaking and we need to begin claiming and in the confidence of who God is, we know that he's got this. Scripture says, so they took the bull, they prepared it, they call on the name of Baal from morning till noon, O Baal, answer us, and they shouted, but it said there was no response, no one answered, and they danced around the altar that they had made. The world's got to dance. Lord, TikTok's full of them. Every kid can do them too. I can't do any. I'm, I have no rhythm. But what these people were doing, in a sense, was a worship dance. They were jumping up and down. They were twisting around. They were shouting. Baal, send the fire, but nothing happened. When it comes to the world, the world's got moves. But do they dance like David danced? When we're in this house, there are times that, that it's so heavy on me because I think if we can't dance before you here, will we dance before you anywhere? If we can't be who you called us to be in this house, do we really think when we get out into the world that we're just going to suddenly come alive? Elijah does something here. He starts talking trash. This man of God in verse 27, he begins to taunt them. Why don't you shout louder? I don't think your God can hear you. Surely he's a God. Maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and someone needs to go wake him up. That busy 
translated quite literally means maybe your God is in the bathroom. I mean, this is boldness. It doesn't say Elijah's with his boys talking this way. Elijah is the only one, and he's talking this way. Verses 28 through 35, so they begin to shout louder. They dance more. They go crazy. They start to cut themselves. And it, the scripture, it says here, they shouted all day long. And the one wording there, they prophesied. What? That's a church word. At the end, it said they leaped on the altar and they were done. When you look up that word leaped, it really means they limped over to the altar because the fight had kind of left them. As God's man, as God's woman, it's time to begin to prophesy. It's time in the wisdom of who God is and the calling that you have to speak in the prophetic to situations, situations in your home, situations at your job, situations you don't know what to do with, to speak prophetically over that. I was talking to my wife last night, and I was saying it's so wild how like, I can get so focused on the fight that's on the ground, and I can forget the spiritual aspect of things. And I need to begin in the prophetic to understand the authority that I walk in. It is time for us to do that because I don't need to respond as the world responds. All day, these people are dancing. They're cutting themselves and nothing's happening. Don't spend the day dancing for the false gods because what will happen is you'll spend an entire lifetime doing it and you won't even realize it. Verse 29, there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Verse 30 says, then Elijah said to the people, come near me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes and the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built the altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed and he put the wood in order. He cut the bowl in pieces. He laid it on the wood and he said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all the way around the altars and it filled the trench with water. It's a practice what you preach moment here. In the authority of the prophetic in this house, it's time for God's men and women to repair what's broken. It's time to understand that the things that are laying on the ground are not there for condemnation. They are there to build with, and they are going to stand as a witness to the power of God and what he's going to do. It is time for us to begin to speak in the authority and the power of God, because you understand this when he says, fill the four water pots, this is a famine. 
He is calling the shots again in authority. And he said, fill them up and fill them again and fill them again. Do you understand how ludicrous that was? But that is the type of faith in this season that we need to have. When we are in a situation and the world's looking and saying, are you crazy? Saying, yes, I am. I stand with Jesus. And it doesn't need to make sense to you. Fill them again. Fill them again. The authority did not bow to the circumstance. The authority did not shrink when it was outnumbered. In fact, here, again, the one who walks with God, we need to come to a point where we understand when we feel outnumbered, we should take it as a compliment. Because the devil's got to send a crowd. When you feel like you're outnumbered and outgunned on the ground, understand it's not about what's happening on the ground. That's when you lift up your eyes to the hills. That's where you know where your salvation is. That's when you speak the name of Jesus and you speak it again and again. Nowhere in this story do we read that Elijah says that if God doesn't come through, he wouldn't believe in him anymore. I'm done putting these tests out and saying, God, if you don't do it, then I'm going to walk away. I'm going to be committed to the course. Whatever God does, I'm going to stand and I'm going to praise him. There are times that it's in a shout and there's times that it's through tears, but I'm going to say he is God. He is God. First Kings 18.36, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. What I love about this is, He does it on God's time. He does it on God's time. See, God's not in a rush. God's not worried about those 450. He does it in God's time. When the test comes, it wasn't about dancing. It wasn't about shouting. It wasn't about cutting himself. It was about praying. When the test comes, it's about how are you praying? And what I love about the prayer that you hear, it doesn't say he shouted it. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you're God in Israel, that I'm your servant, that I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know, O Lord, that you are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. There is power and there is beauty in those statements. There is power and there is beauty in the showdown. God, reveal yourself to us. Show us who you are. God, I may not be able to handle it. Show me, God, because I'm ready in this moment. I want to see the hearts of the people turn back to you again. For so many of us, we have walked closely with God. There have been times that we have been like this with God. And for whatever reason, distance has gotten between us and God. And when I was writing this, I couldn't help but think about this. There used to be this old Apple commercial when the app store came out and the slogan was, there's an app for that. And I feel like anytime there's this distance created between me and God, the devil's like, well, there's a God for that. I'll throw something in there between you and God. And what's wild about apps, if you look at this, a lot of apps use integration so they work together. So in other words, that when there's this gap between you and God, the devil is oh so ready to fill that gap with whatever God he's going to get your attention with, and then there's another, and then there's another, and then there's another. And before you know it, you got like 10 tabs open, and you don't even know what to do or which way's up. Before long, there's new kings sitting on the throne. I don't want that to be my life. Now more than ever, God's trying 
to reveal himself to you. Just like back then, he wants your heart, your entire heart. This is a relationship. The God we serve wants you to be turned back toward him. For whatever reason, when I was reading this, I'm a child of the 80s, right? Well, I wasn't a child then. I acted like one. But during the 80s, like some of the best movies came out. And I say anything, right? Say anything. So with 80s movies, it was all the same script, different people. And it would happen this way. The relationship begins. Things happen that distract. The things that distract begin to build up. The relationship gets strained. And then someone at some point needs to pursue the other person to win their heart back. And I'm just picturing Lloyd Dobler, you know, with that trench coat and that boom box over his head with, yes, with Peter Gabriel blaring like that to me, that's what this feels like. And you're like, he's crazy. God speaks to, yeah, lady in the front row, that's my wife. So when it comes to this, though, I'm willing to look foolish for God because he looked foolish. Like who's holding a boom box above their head at seven in the morning, right? But I'm willing to stand in the rain if need be. I'm willing to stand in the dark, in the cold if need be, because my God is not going to leave me looking foolish. I want to be where he wants me to be. I want to speak the words that he wants me to speak. I do not want to play with fire when it comes to other gods. Last story, and I'm going to close because I, I love stories. Playing with fire. So I had this neighbor who his dad would load shotgun shells. And so he found his dad's loading stash. And he thought it was awfully funny to take the primers for the shotgun shells. And when we'd be sitting around the fire with his dad, throw one in every once in a while. And this primer would go pop. It blows some coals out, and it was really funny. But I remember one time he was doing that, and he went to get up, and he had the box, and he accidentally tripped, and the whole box went in the fire. And the dad had gone in the garage to get something, and so he comes out, and she's like, pop, 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 pop. I mean, it's like we're getting strafed, and there's like coals going everywhere and stuff, and he didn't know what to think. And I thought he'd learned his lesson, thought he'd stay away from the loading supplies. Well, little did I know he'd found the black powder. And I remember we would go to Convenient, and they sold these smoke bombs, and, you know, you'd light them. If you had them as a kid, you'd light them, and they stunk, and they'd blow colored smoke out of them. Well, he thought, and because we wore ninja suits a lot at that time, that maybe we would make some ninja smoke bombs. He just didn't know the right amount of black powder, I guess, to use. And I just remember just one evening just hearing, poof, and he has this ninja mask on. And I remember, you know, as kids, like, don't say anything, don't say anything, because we're going to get in trouble. His mom calls him in the house, and he takes this ninja mask on, and I mean, he's got no eyebrows, and he's just got this red around his face. And I'm thinking, surely he learned his lesson at this point. I don't know. He's probably still out there somewhere with shotgun loading stuff, doing silly things, but I don't want to play with fire. We're going to be closing in a moment. One thing that's important, I think, to note before we go is in the end of this story, 
when the fire falls and it consumes everything. The people fell on their faces. And if you think of this story, you always hear it like the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah, but all of Israel was invited too. There was a whole group of people who were wondering what's going on, whose hearts like they were beginning to stray, but they, they were just waiting to see what God would do. And so it, these are the people who fall on their faces. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But the prophets of Baal end up losing their lives in this story because they purposely led others astray when it came to the things of God. I say this because, you know, when it comes to my walk, when it comes to my shortcomings, I like to consider myself one of those Israelites in the background. But I need to understand the responsibility that rests on a man or woman of God when it comes to the things of God. He's serious. He wants us to take it seriously. Don't minimize your role in the kingdom. Don't believe for a moment that your words don't matter. Don't hide behind things like I'm an introvert, so that's why I don't speak up for God. Don't. Be who God calls you in the moment. Now, I may sometimes wake up feeling like Elijah in this story. There's other times I wake up feeling like Elijah getting fed by the birds. But same God. Same God. If you'll stand, we're going to pray. Here's what I'm going to pray. First and foremost, I want to pray for those of us who are here that you would honestly say, if I took stock, there's other gods. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. But when we bow our heads, here's what I would ask, that you would have the courage when you pray to God to say, God, spotlight those other gods and let me be man or woman enough to say that needs to go. And then in the next part, God, forgive me for putting them before you. God, I want true revival, but I can't drag these things into revival. Show me, give me the courage, and then step into it. Let's pray. Father, right now I come before you. And Lord, I pray that you would take stock. I pray that you would get the spotlight out and whatever doesn't look like you, that whatever's trying to sit on the throne of our hearts, God, that is not you, that you would just point it out right now. I pray that we would have the courage to put a name to it, Lord, and make adjustments as necessary. Father, forgive us for when we fall short. Forgive me when I put you in second place. Forgive me when I don't have the faith, God, to keep you in your rightful place. Because the false gods promise, but you provide. And Lord, right now I pray for true revival to begin within our hearts.
true revival in this house for the things that happened at that winter fest not to stay at that winter fest lord but to come into this house the freedom god i pray it would be in this house the authority of god would be in this house and lord i pray when we leave this house we would walk the same and be the same because that's who you've called us to be in jesus name i pray